Pastor Ed Taylor says sometimes our prayers need some adjustment. It's just not wise for us to dictate how God should work. Not to come to him and say, Lord, you see this and you know this, now do this. It's not a wise prayer. That's more of presumption, like we know better than the Lord. It's much wiser for you and I as believers to submit ourselves to the will of God so that God might glorify his name through our lives. So that he might glorify his name and he'll get all the credit and all the attention and all the worship through a believer who submitted to God in a world that's not submitted to God. This is amazing grace. It's time for Abounding Grace. We'll turn things over to Pastor Ed Taylor in a moment, who today picks up where we left off in 2 Samuel. We're about to see how God intervenes in David's life at a time when he needed it the most. Chapter 18 is also a reminder where bitterness will take you, and it's not a pretty picture, with part one of The Rebellion Ends in an Instant. Here's Pastor Ed. Open your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 17. 2 Samuel chapter 17, as we are learning a lot through the life of David. So much to admire in this man's life. So much to model. So much to adapt into our lives. So much to pray into our lives in David's life. And, of course, things in David's life that we want nothing to do with. We want to learn from his good example, and we want to learn from his bad example. And prayerfully, we can navigate through, the, through both of them into the life that God has for us. That we can emulate the good things in David's life, and we can avoid the bad things in David's life. And while David's not a perfect man, and neither are we, and while he's not a perfect man, he is a man who had a real abiding trust in God. A man that didn't give up and didn't quit. And we pick up now in verse 14 where we left off in chapter 17. So Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The counsel of Hushai the archite is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. For the Lord purposed to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord might bring disaster on Absalom. And if you haven't written in your Bible already, you can write these two words next to this verse. God intervenes. As we're watching and following along the life of David in real time, remember, David is living this. Whenever you're reading of the characters in the Bible, they're experiencing this real time, just like you experience life real time. You don't know what tonight will bring. You don't know what will happen in the morning. You don't know what, if things will get worse or things will get better. You're living life in real time. You don't have, you can't turn to the back of the book and go, oh, now I know how, okay, it's okay. I can endure this chapter. I can endure this chapter because at the end, I know how it's going to end. Now, in a very real way, we can do that uh, in eternity. We know how the book ends and we know what the promise of heaven is. But on earth, we're living in real time and we just don't know. And one of the things that we pray for is that God will intervene. You're watching through David's life. It's not good. You could even say it's over. 
He's left the, the city of Jerusalem. His son Absalom has not only conspired, but successfully brought on a rebellion. Today we would call that a coup. And David, in wanting to spare the lives of many in Jerusalem, has left. He has left, I believe, in, led by the Holy Spirit. People have followed him. His mighty men are with him. Remember, we were introduced to Shimei. He comes out and starts cussing him out, throwing rocks at him. I mean, it was one thing after another, one thing after another, and David just says, look, don't, you know, you, you just don't touch him. Don't, don't do anything with him. Just let him be. Maybe the Lord sent him to me, and perhaps the Lord will repay me good for not doing anything to him. And then when we come into chapter 17, you have Ahithophel, David's best friend and counselor, who's turned against him, giving counsel to Absalom, actually giving good counsel of how to destroy this and get it over with. Just have him go out. They get a little hatchet plan. You can kill him and they'll be, they'll, they'll, be, uh, they'll be all afraid and just kill him. Then we were introduced to verse 8, Hushai, in verse 7. He's a spy, if you will, on behalf of David. And, and Hushai gives the counsel that God uses to stop this and give David more time. And we left off with this thought, and it's worth repeating. Back in chapter 15, verse 31, you'll remember David prayed a prayer, and he said, they told him, David, they told David saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. Your best friend has turned on you. And David said, O Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. And that was a good prayer because he knows Ahithophel. He knows Ahithophel gives good counsel. He knows he's a smart guy, a wise man. And his prayer was, would you, don't harm him, don't hurt him, just make sure that his counsel isn't good. That's his desire, that's his heart. And what happened but the opposite. Ahithophel gave good counsel. I mean, at least it was good in relationship to destroying David. I mean, it wasn't good before the Lord, but it was counsel that made sense that if they, in war, if it was taken advantage of, if Absalom would have listened to him, he would have wiped David out and it would have been over. And then Hushai comes in and gives opposite counsel, and we pick up in verse 14 where he says that the Lord had purposed to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord might bring disaster on Absalom. God intervenes. And David, he's submitting himself to the will of God. He thought it would be good, this prayer. But either way, whatever God's answer is, he was submitting himself through prayer. That's what prayer does. Our attitude and our posture and our prayer submit ourselves to God and to his will. Prayer isn't a means or a mechanism to command or demand from God. Prayers is a, prayer is a mean and a mechanism for us to submit to God. We pray, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Hallowed be your name, God, not mine. But see, God intervenes, but not the way David expected and not the way that David requested. He, he intervenes by bringing about a change through this counsel of Hushai. And we're reminded, aren't we, God doesn't need me to tell him how to fix the issues in my life. God doesn't need me to do that. He doesn't need me to figure it out for him. He doesn't need me to lay it all out on how it should be done. He doesn't need me to talk him through it or walk him through it. He doesn't need me to do that. He doesn't need me to tell, he doesn't need me to tell him and demand from him how to deal with things in my life, how to provide for me in my life, how to protect me. 
He doesn't need me, and, and I'm talking about me, but it's true for you as well. But it's a personal. He doesn't need me to tell him how to handle the people that would want to hurt me or would want to harm me or would want to destroy me. He doesn't need my advice. And let me just turn that around for a minute. God doesn't need your advice. You need God's advice. God doesn't need your advice. It's okay to pray, pray things, Lord. Hey, turn there. I don't want, I hope his counsel doesn't work. Just hope he doesn't give good counsel. But there's even in that prayer of submission, even if he does give good counsel, God, you got my back. Even if he does say something, you got my back. You take care of him. I submit my life to you. When we're praying, often at the end of ourselves, it's just not wise for us to dictate how God should work. Not to come to him and say, Lord, you see this and you know this, now do this. It's not a wise prayer. That's more a presumption, like we know better than the Lord. It's much wiser for you and I as believers to submit ourselves to the will of God so that God might glorify his name through our lives. So that he might glorify his name and he'll get all the credit and all the attention and all the worship through a believer who submitted to God in a world that's not submitted to God. And even though Ahithophel gives good counsel or what seemed good to Absalom, God uses it to bring disaster. Verse 15. Then Hushai said to Zadok and Abiathar the priest, Thus and so Ahithophel counseled Absalom and the elders of Israel, and thus and so I have counseled. Now therefore, send quickly and tell David, saying, Do not spend this night in the plains of the wilderness, but speedily cross over, lest the king and all the people who are with him be swallowed up. Now Jonathan and Ahamaaz stayed at Enrogel, for they dared not be seen coming into the city. So a maidservant would come and tell them, and they would go and tell King David, Nevertheless... Verse 18, a lad saw them and told Absalom, but both of them went away quickly and came to a man's house in Baharim who had a well in his court, and they went down into it. Then the woman took and spread a covering over the well's mouth and spread grain on it, and the thing was not known. And when Absalom's servants came to the woman at the house, they said, Where are Ahimaaz and Jonathan? And so the woman said to them, They have gone over the water brook, and when they had searched and could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem. Now... It came to pass, after they had departed, that they came up out of the well and went and told King David and said to David, Arise and cross over the water quickly, for thus has Ahithophel counseled against you. So David and all the people who were with him arose and crossed over the Jordan. By morning light, none of them was left who had, gone, who had not gone over the Jordan. Hushai sends word to David that, they, that what's going on in the palace, what the plan is, and not to stay in the plains. Take off, David. He buys David a little bit of time by remind, you know, warning him that they're out to kill him. And the plan might work. Right now they, they're, they're uncertain. But he is involved and the plan might work. And notice there is, in verse 18, a lad sees them and tells Absalom, but both of them went away quickly and came to this man's house who had a well in his court and they went down into it. I love this unnamed man. We don't know who he is. We just know he has a house with a well where they hid in it. And haven't you noticed that many times in your life how God will use that unnamed man or unnamed woman to bless you? You, you don't know who they are. God just brings them into, their, into your life and God uses them in your life and then maybe they move on. Or perhaps you're that unnamed man or unnamed woman in someone's life where God brings you into, and, and, and you're walking in a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, you become that man or woman that God uses at just the right time. 
All over the Bible, you can jot these down, but I only looked up a few, but all over the Bible, we're told to do good. It's a very simple command, just do good. It's not saying don't do bad, it just don't do good, just do good. It's God's heart for you to do good to people. It's God's heart for you to do good to strangers. It's God's heart for you to do good to believers. It's God's heart for us to be good to unbelievers. It's God's heart for us to do good. In Psalm 34, 13, it says, Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Speak peace and pursue it. Psalm 37, 3, Trust in the Lord and do good. Isaiah 1, verse 17, Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. Hebrews 13, verse 16. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Notice verse 23. Now when Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his donkey, arose and went home to his house, to his city. Then he put his household in order and hanged himself and died and was buried in his father's tomb. To this I wrote such a sad ending. Ahithophel once had a vibrant relationship with God, once had one of the best friends that a man could have in David shared sweet counsel and love and friendship with this man, oversaw a kingdom, was used mightily of God. God filled him with wisdom and understanding, would often be used in great ways, and this is how his life ends. And I would just say that this is one of the ugly endings of bitterness. Remember, we... We looked at the text and combined different texts and we wondered and we asked the question in previous Bible studies, why did Ahithophel turn on David? Why was he so mad? How could he so quickly turn? And as we looked at the genealogies and the connections, we learned that Ahithophel was the grandfather of Bathsheba. And David's sin with Bathsheba, I believe, greatly affected Ahithophel. And even to the degree, perhaps, that he really loved her husband, really enjoyed him. And part of the sin was not only the adultery with Bathsheba, but also the conspiracy to murder her husband. And we see from the text and from what happened afterwards that even Bathsheba walked in forgiveness toward David. And the the worst thing that could possibly happen to her, she was walking in forgiveness in marriage with her, her new husband, David. It's one, of those, it's one of those stories of grace and forgiveness that boggles the mind. You know it's from the Lord. You know it's him working in this situation. And so Bathsheba, she moves forward with David. She moves forward in forgiveness, and she moves forward in somehow relating to God and then relating. But Ahithophel doesn't do that. If that is the source of the issue in his life, He doesn't deal with it in a healthy way. He submits and succumbs to the the issues of Absalom as he's drawing people to himself and what the Bible said, winning people's hearts. So much so that he aligns himself with Absalom and commits himself to Absalom. He chose the wrong guy. 
Because Absalom didn't really care about him like David did. And now that his counsel, which was good and made sense, wasn't accepted, now he, he realizes, hey, I'm going to be seen as a traitor. David's going to get away. He's going to come back and rule. It comes to him. It just comes to him. David is the rightful king. This whole situation is not going to work. It's not going to happen well. He could see ahead that David's returning to power and anticipated, I believe, the judgment that would come upon him as a traitor. As a traitor. That he would lose his life, perhaps, or go to jail for the rest of his life. And in hopelessness, he hangs himself. Which brings up a very important question for us that the Bible speaks of on more than one occasion, the topic of suicide. It's a very serious topic that perhaps even some listening in right now are having suicidal thoughts where you really wrestle with a depth of hopelessness that one of the options on the table right now is just to take your life and to end it. it in your mind, it just seems like it would be the easier way. And in your mind, you're convinced it will help some of the people in your life. And in your mind, you don't really see a way out. There's not a way out to the left. There's not a way out to the right. It's so dark and it's so deep. And the question that often arises, and it's asked many, many times, is, is suicide the unforgivable sin? Let me just say that if that is a question that you're asking and you're suicidal, I'm very grateful you're asking questions. And I'm very grateful you're still allowing us into your life. But I suggest to you that that's actually the wrong question to ask at this stage in your life. It's a good question. It's a biblical question. And in just a few moments, I'll answer it for you. But it's the wrong question to ask in a time of deep depression and hopelessness. Because that question is being asked toward hopelessness, not toward hope. And the Holy Spirit, with that question, is, is actually bringing about that kind of touch in your life that's pausing you from such a bad decision. Because suicide is not the easy way out. It's one of the most horrific, horrendous things that a person can do that brings so much pain to those that are left behind. So much guilt and so much wondering and condemnation. Having witnessed that myself, questions like, I wonder if I could have done something, plague a person. And then you begin to remember this episode and you go, I should have said something then. And you begin to, and, and it, it's, it's just not the way out. The right question to ask in a time of deep pain is this. And, and you may not be in a time of suicidal thoughts or tendencies right now, but you can, I can plant that seed for you in the future. You can even write this question down if you have to. If you have a, pr a propensity toward depression, you have a propensity toward sorrow and sadness and, and circumstances keep lining up, and you might be like Ahithophel and you've made a serious error, a serious error in judgment, a serious sin, one of betrayal and one of difficulty. Now, the, now, the, now your eyes are being opened and the scales are falling down and you want to change your mind, but you think you can't change your mind. You think it's just no way out. I'm too far in. You're not too far in. There is a way out. Jesus Christ, he came to die in your place. And here's the question. You ready? Instead of asking the question, is this the unforgivable sin? 
Let me give you the right question to ask. You ready? You guys all have a pen? You guys listen on the radio? You can call the office uh, if you need help, but here's the question. Would you please help me? That's the right question to ask. Would you look somebody in the eye that's close to you? Someone that maybe you even feel like doesn't love you. That's your feelings. And in a time of deep help, deep, deep crisis, reach out and say, would you help me? That happened to me not too many weeks ago through a text message. It actually wasn't the question, would you help me? It was the question, call me. Actually, it wasn't even a question. It was just, call me. And considering the circumstances and the time of day and the person, I'm like, man, something's going on. And as I responded to that, that was, you know, many hours all night until the service. I didn't know until first service. I didn't have any idea until after we talked that this was a friend of mine sitting in his car with a gun to his head. He asked the right question. And we weren't sure coming into service that Sunday morning. It happened on Saturday night. I wasn't sure. And then right when I was sharing it with the congregation, with the first servicers, you guys, some of you were already here. And I said, we got to pray for this guy right now because I don't know where it is. The way we hang up, I don't know. I don't know what was going to happen. He wasn't listening to me. Let's pray. And right when I was ready to do that, I got the text that he's okay. And everything's good. And they got the gun and they got him and he's okay. And I've talked to him since and he's making progress and we're still praying for him. And he, I'm grateful he asked the right question. And of course, while we were on the phone, it was wrestling and it was fighting and it was, hey man, this is the way it is and, and just having to deal with issues and just really just being a strong, you know, knowing when to be soft, knowing when to be strong. And, and you might be in that place where you don't want to be asking about whether it's forgivable or not. You want to be asking for help because there are those that want to help you. And you call here, you talk to one of the pastors, one of the lay leaders here, we're not going to judge you. We're not going to make it harder on you. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit would use us to get you out of a crisis time. That is Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. And Ed, maybe there's someone listening right now that's in a crisis and they're in need of some help. Where should they turn at such times? Well, you know, Larry, to those listening right now that find themselves in deep crisis, I'm sorry that the weight of the world is heavy on your shoulders. Um, I affirm to you right now that it's hard, or in some cases, harder than hard. But you don't have to go it alone. It's important that you ask for help. The places that you start are those that are closest to you. Family, friends, pastors, elders, those in your small group. Ask for help. Send a text. You can reach out for prayer. You know, even here at Calvary, we have walk-ins all the time. And what's a walk-in? Well, our doors are open, and folks will be in the neighborhood. They'll be in crisis. They come into the parking lot, park their car, and they walk right in the doors, and a pastor is able to pray with them and minister to them in that moment. And let me just tell you, talking to someone relieves a lot of the pressure. It won't solve all your problems, but it will help get through the moment of crisis, because we do have these moments of crisis. And so, Father, I pray for those listening right now that are in crisis, that you would give them the courage and the strength to step out in faith and ask for help, that you would remove from them the pain and the burden that they're feeling right now, and affirm your love into their lives and your care. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Thanks again, Pastor Ed. We're going and growing through a study of 2 Samuel right now, and you can hear this message again online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen through our app. Search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play. Here in the month of July, we picked out an excellent book from Warren Wiersbe we think you'll benefit from. It's called The Strategy of Satan. In it, Warren Wiersbe discusses basic biblical instruction that will help you defeat the strategies of the devil. You'll learn about Satan's attacks as the deceiver, destroyer, ruler, and accuser, and discover how to conquer the enemy by obeying God's truth. We'll send you a copy when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Just call and ask for The Strategy of Satan. Our number is 877-30-GRACE. Again, that's 877-30-GRACE. You can also order online at calvaryco.store. Next time on Abounding Grace, we'll continue Pastor Ed Taylor's study of 2 Samuel. And we'll look for you tomorrow as we open the Word together in search of God's abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.